sorry I'm late. My dad unexpectedly popped by. I did, tried he want to con- did he want to do the show? He, he so I mentioned like, oh, we're doing When Harry Met Sally and Bull Durham. And he was like, oh, those are both good movies. <laughs> and then, wow. And then, Yo, 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 it's your motherfucking boy, the Mark Rob, a.k.a. Sean Madlove, a.k.a. Gordon Darks, a.k.a. The Power of the Blog, a.k.a. Thick Moranis, a.k.a. Java the Smut, coming at you with a new slate of deleted scenes. This is deleted scenes from the recording that we did with Kellen Carley, a.k.a. B-Hyphen, when we recorded the With a Pen in One Hand episode. <laughs> even the title <laughs> I, even the title has me going uh that was a great night of recording with some good people and we hope you enjoy the deleted scenes we are going to cover a couple of topics that we want to expound upon from last week and a little bit more uh me and cat we dive into a little bit more of our favorite baseball films uh cat less a little bit more over kurt russell <laughs> and Kellen has two words for you, Ellen DeGeneres and Kevin Hart fans. <laughs> Again, enjoy. Peace. But anyway, uh, I believe first order of business is me convincing Mark Robb to see the David Bowie movie. Oh, you don't you don't have to, but go go for it. Go on. Um <laughs> so I I'll, I'll keep it quick because I don't want to like spoil it or like hype it too much because a lot of the negative reviews I've seen about it are like oh it was really hyped for me and then I like got there and it was like interesting but like I also feel like a lot of the negative press was written by straight white men um but oh, um it, it is uh truly unlike any other film I've ever seen okay All right. uh it is an exploration of the personas developed by David Bowie, but it is also, but it is like on the most like cerebral level. So they are exploring, like each era has different colors associated with it. The editing style is different for each era. There is interview clips layered over stuff. There's personal footage uh, interspersed in concert footage, interspersed with interviews, and and it really just seems to be a character study of like the four main eras of Bowie's like time. Okay. While also like not really commenting on them at all, like yeah. it is just presenting them as musical and visual experiences with what Bowie said about them at the time and then subsequently, like, sprinkled throughout. Okay. So, like, a lot of people comment that a lot of the the Thin White Duke, which is, like, his kind of fascist-y era, mostly took place when he was in Berlin. But he was in Berlin because people, like, leave famous people alone in Berlin. 
the Thin White Duke was actually a character based around American nationalism and, like, the American gun fetish, which was not, like, a thing that had really been, I think, ever frankly said aloud before and had been cut from the interview that was given for. Um, so it's really, it's really well done, I think. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I cried. I cried once for like a couple of reasons, but like it was, it was very well done. Nice. All right. It is also um, two hours and 20 minutes. So pee ahead of time. Um, hilarious. You better pee uh, ahead of time, bro. Well, I had to like find a, a, a moment where I was like, oh, okay, I know what happens in this song clip, and I know they're not going to cut away from it. I got to go pee. Like, right. Right. Hilarious. Um, so, well, the reason I initially said you don't have to sell me on it because I was probably going to see it anyway. Uh, I'm going to go to Austin uh, this weekend to kind of catch one of the screenings that they have at one of their independent cinemas. So, um, I may catch it before then. So I, I will uh, say, if you can see it in IMAX with the nice sound, do it. Um, yeah. The sound mixing, especially for live footage from like the mid seventies, like jaw on floor. The the work that they did to clean everything up, sound wise, to clean everything up visually. And then to collage these different pieces together, like whoever whoever oversaw the editing, because I'm sure a bunch of different people actually edited the whole thing together. Yeah. Like, I think they're releasing it in theaters like this because it is an HBO movie. Mm-hmm. But I think they're I think they're going for an Oscar push. Oh, OK. OK. I think it would have to be for documentary. Like, I don't know what else you could, like, classify it as because really it's a it's really a magical nonfiction piece is what it is but that's not really like a genre that exists but like <laughs> they should i hope they get the editing push for that movie because it it was really beautifully done all right all right um so uh that's on the docket i may check out um barbarian also mm-hmm. um i don't know when but I've heard I've heard some some good things about it, so um, I may check out that check that out sooner rather than later. Listen, that's called MF and bars. So so, Kellen, you have the you have to share your who what well you have to share yours. Which movie is Mick Ryan the hottest in? Um. Sally Albright rocked my world for the first time the other, other couple Saturdays ago, and, and she's still rocking my world, man. Like, I I know like Meg Ryan was always just cute to me. Like, it, it, like she's I thought she's a good actress. I enjoyed her her movies I'd saw pr- prior to this one, but like she she came in and and she she her, the role was perfect for her. And of course, again, the chemistry with Harry was amazing, and that's what helps make the movie. It's called. It's not called uh, Sally. It's called When Harry Met Sally. So all that's great, but she's just such a strong and viable character, and she knows what she wants, and she she's just brings it the whole time, man. So Sally Albright, hands down, is is the hottest Meg Ryan's ever been for me. All right. That all that right. was even even with Top Gun. That was the first time I was like. All right, Meg Ryan. <laughs> All right, Meg Ryan. I see you. I see you, Meg maybe, Ryan. Maybe Meg Ryan can get it. 
I mean, I, I've I'm seen. Black Cat said it, and not me. All right. <laughs> hey, hey, I've seen in the cut, so I definitely could have got it. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Rob, I, I've seen what I've needed to see from in the cut, so I, I, I can go with that idea too. But I meant as far as the total package. Yeah, Sally Albright, Meg Ryan, and nothing. I was going to say she handled the package all right, but <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Sheesh, I'm so, missing that episode when y'all cover that. <laughs> if, Don't call if, me. If we if we do in the cut, that may have to be the last episode we should do this the time because there's literally no way we're going to top you that. You should pair like, it with IQ. <laughs> IQ and in the cut, the very wow. last episode. That may be tonal whiplash too heavy <laughs> for Kat Eddie to survive. So I, I don't know. We want to put her through that ring. Oh, uh, she made it through Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink, though. <laughs> well, we don't want to keep doing that to Kat, though. No, Kat, no. We, that's why you got to make it the last episode. The cat has nine lives, so we want to make sure we we use them. You know, it, it, we want to use them more intelligently than in the cut in IQ at the same time. Yes, absolutely. But I, I will say though, sleep in Seattle, slightly overrated. <laughs> it's a little yes. bit boring. Yes, it's it like is. A little bit boring. Yes, it's it very is. sweet, very sentimental, but you hit them snooze buttons a little bit. So. <laughs> I I think that's one of the ones though, and I, I I in no way mean this as like a uh like a dig, right? But like I think that's the one where like you can tell that is Nora Ephron's like first big directing writing push. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's like, I would be interested to see if she made it like in the same time frame as you've got mail, if she would, if it would be tighter. I'm sure it would be. I definitely, because obviously when you're a first time director, not that I've ever directed anything in my life, but when you're a first time director, you you, you want to shoot everything and use everything. And then when it comes down to editing room, it's hard for you to let some things go. So um, maybe a few more passes through Sleepless from Seattle would make it move a little bit better. Um, but then maybe it wouldn't be as iconic to to the the crazies out there who just love Sleepless in Seattle. So take the good, I, you take the bad. I think it's a it's a three and a half movie to me, three mm-hmm. and a half out of five. Yeah, but there's definitely I I I, I even <laughs> you got mail is in twenty twenty two is so problematic. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but, but it has problems. Yeah, it definitely has problems, but I still fuck with it pretty heavily. <laughs> I, I do too, man. I I do too. I don't know what it is. It's little sweet little emails, and then they get on instant messages and everything, and they're talking. And it's like, yo, I used to do that. I can relate. You know, I don't know. Oh, you used to catfish? All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see myself out. There's problematic hyphen again. There, is. <laughs> there he is. There he is. You used to catfish. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Uh, I on my and because the OCD gods have blessed me um, with Letterbox, I have a hundred top hundred sports movies list also, <laughs> uh, and of course this has to fall in it. So, I, I mean, I think when you talk about baseball films, I think the top this league of their own major mm-hmm. league 
Yes. I would throw in Little Big League also, and then Sandlot to kind of round it out. So I don't remember. It's been a long time since I watched Little Big League. I need to rewatch that one. I think I was honestly a, a child when I saw that one. So I need to rewatch it as an adult. Well, well yeah, you should have been. <laughs> it was it was for kids. Well, well, yes, um, I know. I'm just saying it's been that long, Mark Rob. But no, I uh, remember uh, Griffey and uh, Randy Johnson were in that shit. So yes, that yep, movie was actually that. really funny. But so the title of this is going to be a pin in one hand, just FYI. <laughs> so, I mean, yes. I still can't believe you never saw Bodyguard. That's really <laughs> Never, I never had to, never had to felt the urge, man. Like, I mean, I've never. heard it was fine. I've seen scenes from it. If that makes you feel better, I've never watched it in its entirety. Heard it was fine. Okay. Uh, what do you? What's your? What's your letterbox on Bodyguard? I don't think I rated it. Um, let's see. They they I, made it into a Broadway musical at one point, uh, and then everyone was like, "Wow, it's not good when it's not Whitney Houston." And then it closed. Um, you, you, you know what right. happened? I watched the music video so many times for "I Will Always Love You," and I saw the scenes from the movie, and I was like, "This doesn't look interesting to what how over however old I was at that time." So nine year old me at all, I don't think I ever want to watch The Bodyguard, and I never have. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm kind of giving you shit. It's like a three, three and a half movie, but basically I thought so. The best parts of it are, I mean, Whitney and Kevin. Actually, the funny thing is Kevin is actually the reason for you know how the beginning of the song, there's, there's all acapella, mm-hmm. and then it eventually goes to like the, the actual music. Kevin's the reason that's actually what happened. He basically told he told her and the producers of the song, um, just all all a cappella. Just have her sing it and then bring the music in eventually. So he Oh he, dang. He loved dang. her. He all right, loved Kev- her. All right, Kevin but, Costner. I ain't trying to say he a bad dude. He just never moved me as an actor. So so that's that's what's up, Kevin Costner. Good, good for you, bro. I can admit. Kurt Russell is a better actor than Kevin Costner. I know so. you can. I know so. you can. Also, I was thinking about it when we were talking about Kurt Russell, and I think one of the reasons that Death Proof is one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies is solely because of Kurt Russell's performance in that film. But then we'd get... He's a fucking get creep. I know. Squatting Kurt Russell in baseball pants. Jesus. Hello, hello. <laughs> like, I'd like to introduce myself. Uh... You know what my, it is, my, though? My bow tie is spinning. My my glasses are moving up and down on their own. Ugh. You know and what it is, though? the jaw is dropping. The, the only argument I would say that Kevin is better than, in this role than Kurt is the fact that I think Kurt has too high of a level of charm. I think that he has to be a dickhead enough to where he's continually going hard at Nuke. Mm-hmm. And I I mean I, I think though that if if the idea is that he's got like I think he can have charm and still be an asshole. And I think if anything that it creates a little more interest because Nuke is a fundamentally charmless idiot. Um so then at least it's like 
I could understand why Nuke kind of listens to him besides just like he's older at me and yelling at me. <laughs> um, and the woman I want to fuck says I should. Um, like, I think it, I would, I would get it a little bit more like, I think that could work too. It would be a slightly different dynamic, but I don't think it would be a bad one. Still roll on my guy, Kev. Kevin Costner, come on the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cat may not be allowed to be on the episode, but come on the show. <laughs> I just saw that uh, apparently the studio did not want Tim Robbins at all, and uh, and they literally had to. The director had to threaten to quit in order to get Tim Robbins cast in the film. I mean, he was super young. He didn't do shit. I mean, I mean, he's thirty, but he didn't really do shit in Hollywood. Like yeah. the pl- the player isn't until well, Jacob's Ladder is Jake Ladder is great, but I don't think Jacob's Ladder wasn't until like the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was unproven, so I understand the studio's apprehension. And the, uh, the, so, the player is excellent. You should watch the player. It's really. I good. will just say that I just googled why isn't Kurt Russell in, and the second thing that came up was why isn't Kurt Russell in Goldie Hawn, and I'm like, <laughs> hey yo, ah, uh, this is not no Pornhub, my guy. What are y'all? But doing? also like we don't know what they're up to right now. Like, why isn't Kurt Russell inside of Goldie Hawn at this exact second? Google. <laughs> Oh my god! And, and honestly, the more I think about it, like <laughs> looking at Kurt Russell in this role versus Kevin Costner, I think it would have taken me out of the movie more because I don't feel like this is a role necessarily where it, it, it's not that heavy. Where it's like, oh my god, he disappeared into the character. I feel like I'm like, all right, Kurt Russell's acting. Kurt Russell's acting. Kurt Russell's in the tub. I think I, that would be my whole mind frame throughout the the whole movie. So putting okay, Kevin Shut Costner in there and put allows Kurt me to, Russell and, in the tub. <laughs> putting put, okay, Kevin Costner in there allows Crash Davis to come alive more than it would have for Kurt Russell because I've been like <laughs> Kurt Russell in the tub. Why isn't Kurt Russell in <laughs> Susan Sarandon? <laughs> like literally, I I was like, pardon me, Google. Like, jeez. One one Unbuckle my garters. <laughs> Some one night in China action going on. Jesus also, wow. Also, shout out shout out to uh, Crash because uh, where Nuke was unsure how to unsnap the garters, Crash had no problem with it, and that was also a great scene of showing, not telling. I I appreciated that. I was like, oh, she would have man now. <laughs> she would have man now, <laughs> and she knows it. Like those uh, poor children from uh, Ricky Bobby when their grandmothers got a hold of them, like you're gonna break us like a couple hours. <laughs> she felt that. Jeez. She felt that. She's like, oh, oh, okay. Okay, go ahead, Annie. Awesome. Um, I, I did really enjoy the sport this enjoy the film though, to be honest. Like the the part the intro was a little rough and and Kevin Costner was good. I don't want to say he was bad in it, but he definitely gained steam as the film went on. Um, I have to give it a few more viewings before I say it's one of my favorite sports films or anything like that. But as far as a baseball movie, like I definitely wouldn't, 
I'd put it in the class with all the movies you named, Mark Rob, for sure. I'm really, su- I'm really surprised you haven't seen this. I, I'm, I was bullshitting about, uh, about kind of about Bodyguard, but mm-hmm. this one I'm, I'm because this like this was like a TNT USA, like TBS like staple. Right. I don't know. I don't know why I never just sat down and watched it. It was just one of those I just I just kept missing and I never really made it a point to watch it. Um, if I had ac- if I had caught it and taped it at some point back in my VHS days, or then for sure I would have been into it. Like for real, like the reason I love White Man Can't Jump so much is it came on after NBA All Star Saturday Night once. So I was like, oh, let me tape White Man Can't Jump, and I taped it. I was like, yo, this movie's awesome. If it had come on after some kind of sporting event when I was a teenager, I'd be like, let me just go and tape Bill Durham and I'll watch it. I'd probably be like, yo, this movie's pretty dope. So it, it's not for. It just never ran ran across the, the old viewing plate, so to speak. But I, I do really like the movie, honestly. Like I've I've been I haven't written my letterbox review just because I, I was still I was contemplating rewatching it before I did it. Um Kat, we we didn't ask you, but what other baseball movies do you like? That's a good question. Uh well League of Their Own is a classic. Yes. Angel um, is actually watching the series right now, and I'm I'm catching some pieces of it, and it's pretty fun. Um, I have fond memories of watching The Natural, but I think I need to revisit that because it's been a while. Uh, I have not seen Field of Dreams or Angels in the Outfield. We'll get to them eventually. Uh, Forty Two, I really Angels like in the Outfield well. is Mark Rob's favorite Disney movie. <laughs> no, no, we you have no reason to watch Angels in the Outfield. Please don't. Like you know, never. Just uh, forty-two. That was that was okay. Um, it's not. It's not a great movie, but I think it is another movie that is cinematically good at using baseball, mm-hmm. and that is something I can enjoy about it. I think you would like the. You may like the Roger Maris movie. Like um, Sixty-one asterisk. Is that the one? Sixty-one asterisk. You're absolutely right. Nice. Nice. Don't but watch like, the fan, for God's sake! Please don't watch the fan with the uh, fan. Wesley Snipes the, and Tommy Lee Jones. The fan is fucking wild. Was it Tommy Lee or was it um, no? From Speed? De Niro, De Niro, oh, De, Niro <laughs> De Niro. I'm sorry. I haven't oh, watched it in uh, the '90s. I'm sorry, Mark Rob. The dude from Speed. Uh, Moneyball is another one that I've watched quite a few times. I actually really like Moneyball. I've also that's, read the book. That's my number six of baseball film. So yes. yeah. Um, I like Fever Pitch. I can't say it's like a great movie. Uh, but it's a Boston movie. Watched it way it, too it much is when it first came out. Now I haven't watched it in over ten years at least. It is a movie that does for Fenway Park what Bull Durham does for baseball as a whole. But I love Drew Barrymore. So right. that. I like acknowledge that the Sandlot exists, but it's not really a movie I care about. I can see that. It, it's um, entered the zeitgeist so hard. I mean, it's hard for if you don't like it like that, then everybody's like, "You're crazy! You're like the Sandlot! Oh my God! You're killing me, Smalls!" Like I can, I can see the to- a little bit of the toxicity of the fan base maybe getting to you and ruining it for you. So. Well, you're you're way past the age for it. Like you're you're gonna have any nostalgia for it. So I think, uh, much like Hocus Pocus, it is a movie that I just hit way too late. Like yeah. I saw it for the first like. Uh, and I had this problem with Mean Girls too a little bit, but I actually think Mean Girls held up to a really late viewing, mm-hmm. where like I had seen all of Mean Girls and like gifts on Tumblr before <laughs> I had ever of actually course. like seen Mean Girls. 
Yeah. And when I saw Mean Girls, I was like, oh, it's it's a little better with sound. <laughs> yeah, I saw Mean Girls in my twenties, and it, it hit way better than if I had been any younger. So but, I definitely feel like you have to be of a certain age to truly appreciate it. I feel like both Hocus Pocus and when I saw the Sandlot, I think I was like twenty. Mm-hmm. And neither of those really land without nostalgia. Yeah, the more I'm thinking about Moneyball, the more I'm like happy that I like. No, it's uh, a, it's great. I'm yes. happy about Moneyball. Like, I mean, I I I have on my list Little Big League over it, but that's. That's more so for the nostalgia play. Like the premise of Little Big League is <laughs> this: uh, this kid, uh, his granddad owns the Minnesota Twins, and this little kid, he's like, um, he's like, he's late elementary, but too young for middle school. So he's like really smart about baseball and baseball history, and his grand his granddad dies and bequeaths. The twins to him. Okay, it's coming back to me now. Yeah. So you said twins, and I was like, "Oh, that's little big league for sure." Okay, and, yeah. And and so their manager sucks, and so he fires the manager and becomes the team manager. manager. So this this kid who's like fucking like ten, like twelve years old, is managing the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. And as you, but the thing is, the movie isn't as silly as it sounds. It takes baseball like really seriously. Um, so I really respect it. And also it had like, it had like major leaguers actually in it. Like King Griffey, like is in the movie, um, like at, at kind of like the apex or right before the apex of King Griffey. Um, like, uh, it was right around the right time. Cause wouldn't that movie come out? 93, something like that. I feel like 93, 94 it was definitely after they won the world series. Yeah. Little big league was, uh, 94. Five, I think. Okay. I'm, lo- I'm looking at it right now. And 94, you're right, 94. Because okay. I, I know I uh, Rookie of the Year came out like 93, and that's when the homeboy messed up his, his arm and his pitcher for the Cubs. Can I, I remember watching that. throw out real quick, though, that uh, I, I threw on when Harry met Sally when we started the podcast. And uh, they're, they're just sleeping together now. And, uh, or like, it's like immediately after that. And... Like, holy shit, that script is tight. Like, it (laughs) is. It it? is, like, 90 minutes in and out with credits. And it manages to do everything that we talked about in 90 minutes. This is why I think movies don't need to be four hours long, people. Like... And a lot of these stories we don't need episodic television for, but... You know, that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, though, before I forget, I wanted to say this last week, and I think I was getting to it before we had to stop. When they finally slept together, and then, of course, Harry leaves her the next morning, and they are awkward, and then, then they don't talk and everything like that. I really didn't appreciate, and this isn't the movie's fault, obviously, because Harry is who he is, and that's the reason why it works. But it really bothered me as close as they were that he immediately reverted back into, I slept with this hot girl, now I'm leaving, versus it being, 
like, oh my God, she she's she's upset, and I don't know if it meant anything. Like, I know I know he they both called her called the BFFs, like when everything happened, and they were literally talking to each other, uh, talking to them while they're in bed together and stuff. And they so we I I understand that, and I know that he expressed some kind of remorse, but I just I really felt like they could have done more to sell the fact that he was more distraught that it only happened because of her vulnerability versus her honestly being into him. And I know that might've been a little too much for the time period and for his character to think like that. But I feel like their friendship was strong enough that if they had pivoted that direction, I think the movie would have benefited a little more, not to say that it wasn't good the way that they went. I, mean, I, love I think, it. I think he kind of does that though, where, where there's the phone call. Oh yeah. Like he, he gets to the payphone in the lobby of her building. He doesn't even make it out of the building. Yeah. Before he calls this person and is like, I think I screwed up because I think she's like the most important connection in my life. And I, we just changed it. And like, he doesn't, he's, he, in this case, he's not dipping because it didn't mean anything in this case. He's dipping because it meant too much. Yeah, it meant the most. It meant everything. Okay, and but like, he just he can process. Then I then I, meant, then I miss I missed that connection. Then I think I, I was because I think I think in this case, in instead of him like swimming away, uh, he he just gets like hit by a tsunami and like right. he kind of gets like blown back by it. But yeah, to, from the outside and like from Meg Ryan's side and even from our side, we're like you should just talk to her, and he's like. Ah! Every time I talk, it gets worse. Because <laughs> oh. Wazowski. Because when he, <laughs> when he back where it came from, or so help me. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Because if you notice, like when he talks to his best friend, he's he even says, when you when you sleep with someone normally, you kind of you know, you talk about whatever, but when we did it, we had nothing to, to talk about. He just really couldn't articulate what he was feeling properly. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, y'all say it like that. Um, I, I was taking it too literal, especially because of the separation that they, they had following that and her drag getting the Christmas tree by herself and they're not friends anymore. And I was like, yo, he really, he really dipped out on her, but he, he did, but that makes more sense now that they did, Again, they show they showed that uh, he he really felt these big feelings for her, and he thinks that everything was ruined. Yeah, and he wasn't he other, wasn't wrong. He, everything changed. He just wasn't prepared for the it other thing time. that I think uh, shows that very well, in my opinion, is the fact that like they the scenes of them walking and still talking about it. Uh, if you look in the background, like the first one where he and uh, the friend are like jogging together, mm-hmm. there are leaves on the trees. And then when they're talking about it the next time, and it it's, seems like the continuation of the same conversation, but it's clearly not because there's different clothes on. Uh, there yeah. are no leaves on the trees. I will so say that, that I, I had a drink in my hand, so I probably missed all those <laughs> little oh, new details there. So he was oh, like, he 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 th- he's talking about it, like, oh, I'm so over it. I just think that maybe sometimes it's too late to sleep with people, you know? And I wish that she would understand, but but like, that's clearly not what it is. Mm. Like, he's he's clearly, like, I'm sure this is how she's feeling, right? Because there isn't a chance, right? Like, it's not... 
Yeah. Like it had to mean nothing or like else this is stupid, right? Like Yeah. Okay. So and you think you only watched this once, right, Kelly? Yeah, I I'm probably gonna rewatch it when I go upstairs. So <laughs> So uh, there's a high probability that Harry and Sally is about to come on once once I get done with you guys. So I don't miss those things, considering I'm just sleepy and not and not uh, drinking this time. That's funny. Man. It's so well, funny that I bored you to yawning. Sure did. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm just fucking with you. When I see. The Bowie movie. We'll we'll definitely converse on it before we do. Oh yeah, and I probably won't see it in theaters again because I'll be honest. uh, Going to see it in IMAX was like thirty two dollars with taxes and fees. It's thirty two dollars there. Yeah, one ticket. So I got to see it like they did like a premiere showing of it. Yeah, and I think because it was a premiere showing, they charged more. Mm. Yeah. I got that for Top Gun, unfortunately, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, usually uh, to see an IMAX movie, it's like 22 to 24 bucks, depending on if it's like peak time or not. 24? It's just like 16 here. God damn. Oh, yeah. 16 is like regular movie price here. Regulars? shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, but that's why I usually go to like the independent theaters because they're usually much cheaper. But. Yeah. You know, your your mom and pop theater don't usually have an IMAX. That's true. Kellen has to go to Pittsburgh to go to IMAX. I so. do. And I have the last thing I saw in IMAX, Mark Rava, you'll appreciate this. It don't was say uh, Dark Knight. No, it wasn't Dark Knight. It wasn't that long ago. Damn. Last thing I saw at IMAX in Pittsburgh was the Jumanji remake, the first one, with Jesus your guy, Christ. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Jesus. The second one Christ. is pretty good, actually. I saw that one in press, and I was kind of taken with it. I, I enjoy both of them, honestly. I think they're both a lot of fun. I just liked watching The Rock trying to do a Danny DeVito impression, hey. which is, like, clearly so far outside of his, like, available skills. Mm-hmm. But he, he just, like, com- it, man. he just committed to being, like, Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin Hart doing his Danny Glover was pretty awesome too. And I don't, I do not fuck with the Kevin Hart, but I do no. enjoy him in those movies. I I love how you just I, I do not fuck with the Kevin Hart, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like the the entity of Kevin Hart. I don't, I don't, I, don't I just, I mean the the homophobe the homophobe stuff is not. I'm not a fan of any of that. Yeah. And that weak ass apology that Ellen had him come on to do. Yeah, that wasn't even an apology. He's like, and Helen's like, oh yeah, you're just a comedian. And then lo and behold, Ellen's an asshole too. So suck it. <laughs> suck it, all you Ellen fans. Oh wow. Not Ellen. I will, I I will Hart, just let you know, fans. homesick from school, nine year old Catherine is deeply hurt. Um yeah, you told the fans to suck it. Not Ellen or not Kevin Hart. The fans Kev- gotta suck it. Jesus. Kevin Hart can suck it. Ellen can oh. suck it. And the fans of Ellen Hart. <laughs> Ellen Hart of Ellen can suck e- it. Ellen Hart? Who's a wrestler? <laughs> There's an Ellen Hart there. Ellen Hart. <laughs> Ellen Hart, I'm coming for you. The, the heel from <laughs> next, Minnesota. Next week, next week it's SummerSlam. V-Hyphen versus Ellen Hart. All right, there it is. We hope you enjoyed this week's episodes of Deleted Scenes. Next week, we'll be getting back to it. Coming up on spooky season, you guys. Stay safe. Stay warm. Love you. Peace. Bye.
If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us 5 stars, leave a review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow Kat, at Kat, underscore, Chinetti, on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus, at Madlove, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Kat and Mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?